can one guy be? I kissed her and she kissed me Like the fella once said Ain't that a kick in the head? Welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. OuterLimitsRadio.com I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight, we are going into the world of the surreal by featuring an introspective interview and forensic soul analysis on legendary actor Mr. Frank Vincent. After several years of begging, pleading, and crying, he finally agreed to do our show. And I'll tell you what, I've done hundreds of interviews. I've never been challenged by a guest the way I was with Mr. Frank Vincent. And it was great. I was just so, so thankful. Can I tell you how much respect and admiration I have for this man? He's not only an actor, he's an author, he's a musician, he's a comedian. He's always expressing himself in so many different ways. I think he's also a great teacher. There is so much we can learn from this man. And again, to have him on our show is surreal. I'm so, so thankful. Let us begin tonight's program. Mr. Vincent, it is a great honor to have you on the program today. Thank you so much for being with us. Pleasure to be here. How are you today? Doing unbelievable. This is a bit surreal. <laughs> Very surreal, actually. When I consider that <laughs> I've seen I, the, the scenes that you've been in, I've seen so many times. So, Casino, you kill Joe Pesci. Goodfellas, he kills you. Of all the characters that you've played, which is the character that took the most out of you, that really made you, that drained you most emotionally in preparing for? Uh, that's a good question. Um, drained me most emotionally? Yeah, that, probably, that really took probably, a lot of you. Probably, probably Phil Leotardo from Sopranos. Because okay. the character, because the character lasted uh, two years, you know, it was a uh, ongoing thing. So th- you had to maintain that level of uh, characterization week to week as opposed to a movie. If you do a movie, you do your, you do your shots and you might, you might work, you know, two days, five days, three days. So this lasted a long time. There's another character I played in a movie called Chicago Overcoat where I would play the lead character. And that, that was a little, because the, the bigger the character, you know, the more, the, the more you need to, to, to make it work. I mean, the bigger in, as far as the, what you need time wise, how long it's going to, how how much how big he is in the script in his story. Okay, and though you have played uh, a member of the mafia in several movies, how do you look at those characters and make each one uniquely different? Because sometimes people do a film and they they're, they get typecast or something, but you managed to make every character you played uniquely different. How did you do that? I think that's done basically by the, by the situations. And the writing, the writing is very important because without the writing, the character doesn't have anything. I mean, uh, the situations that he was in and Phil Leotardo was in, situations that uh, Billy Bats was in, the situations that in Casino, that what he was in. So, I mean, it, it, I don't think of that. Think of it that way as far as as far as making each character different. You just you go with the character. It's a time period, the dress, the costume, and and it's and uh, a lot of people in in the business that act make it make it. I think a little deeper than I think it should be, but that's up to everybody else. 
individually what they do. You know, people, some people approach it in a different manner and I approach it in the manner that I do. And, and, and it's uh, something that just, easy to me okay and people think of acting they some people think it's words it's movement how what are some of the ways that you've been able to effectively get into character or make it a character very compelling without speaking what are some of the mannerisms that you've brought to certain characters that you felt really translated on screen and resonated deeply and actually enhanced the character's persona not even speaking. Well, again, it, it, it deals with the emotion of the character. I mean, I mean, some characters you saw, you didn't see any, anything emotionally because he was mostly in an irate situation or whatever the situation was, but was singular dimensional. But some of the characters that, like I say, last that you're in the, the script more longer and you're bigger of a character, you have to be, you know, you have a sad time, you have a good time, you have a happy time, and you have a you have a mean time. You have a bad time, a time when you're when you're bad, when you when you when you when you're going to kill somebody, and uh, I think that um, I think I think I think Sopranos was a character that gave me a lot of dimension to do the things I wanted to do, and uh, it, it came it came across that way, and it worked fine for me. But the writing for Sopranos was brilliant, it was brilliant. I mean, there's a scene where I, I, I I'm, I'm I'm limping with a cane, and I'm going to meet his mother, and I meet her in the driveway, and I say to her, and I say a lot of nasty things to her, and uh, you know, she says, "What's your name?" I says, "We're from Alcoholics Anonymous." She says, "What's your name?" I said, "Well, we're anonymous." You know, that's a joke. <laughs> so that's a joke, but that's written that way. So you have to deliver the material that they write, especially the humorous stuff. But you know, wise guys, wise guys are very funny people. They're very, very humorous. I mean, the reality of them is that they, they, they always, they never, they're never serious. I mean, when, when they're serious with you, that's not a good time to be around them. I, I had a, I had an, inter, um, an uh, incident where I got a wise guy. I knew very well. I mean, this is a, this is a killer wise guy, killer man in the restaurant. He's sitting with his wife, another couple and I come in the restaurant with my 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 wife and my 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 brother and his wife and another couple and we walk in the restaurant and he sees me Frank, hey how are you? Who are you with? I said, No, nah, we with some my brother, you don't know these people. Meanwhile we sit down and before you know it, he calls me over. Frank, can I talk to you a minute? The character I'm talking about is the character that Joe Pesci played in Goodfellas. That character. Wow. That he that he took that that all the notes from him that, more or less. He said to me, Frank, I said, you know the guy you're sitting with is a very good friend of mine. You told me you told me that I don't know him. What's what's that all about, Frank? Uh, now he had he had a reason. He was drinking. He had a reason to be unfriendly to me and to and to put to put me to to um, embarrass me. This is what you do. I said, no, no, I, no. I, I didn't realize you knew him, and I'm taking the back step because. You don't want to confront them. If you confront them, and then he says, "You know, Frankie, you don't you do that again to me. I'm going to leave you right there where you're standing." Oh my God! And this is this is the restaurant. This is a true true story. And the owner of the restaurant standing right behind him, in the event that this guy makes a serious move. I, I mean, 
he could have been clowning, he could have not been clowning. But you don't call him up on that. Now, with that experience, did you learn the most out of the mob persona from that particular gentleman? Was there any particular mobster that you studied that you sought to emulate things from? Were there any particular mobsters that you, you felt had a direct um, impact on some of the characters that you uh, created? Well, that, that, was a, that was a learning experience to me as far as the characterization. There was another character that, that you, Joe and I, you know, Joe Pesci and I played music together for a long time. And we were partners in playing music, and we evolved into into the acting stage. And we used to go out and party with these people. And this was a bona fide, a bona fide, but I mean bona fide. And he used to, and the and 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 uh, Joe was screwing around one night. I said I made a remark. I said, "Hey, now give me a kick right in his ass one of these days." <laughs> he says, "How many people have you done that to, Frank? How many people have you kicked at?" And what are, you, what are you getting excited about? I'm the I'm the gangster, not you. But you be the actor. Don't don't say you're going to do something because you're not going to do it. I mean, just simply that, and and it made you understand the position that you were in with these people. They 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 tolerate you. They allow you whatever they allow. And the fact that we're celebrities helps because that's that's some people that they'd rather be around that they could get more from abusing them. They get themselves to abuse them. You know, it's not it's not blatant abuse, but it's 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 subtle undercurrent abuse. <laughs> now, of all the people that you could team up with, what was it about Joe Pesci? Did you guys have really good chemistry? And can you please talk about your early days when you were performing together? Did you ever believe that you both uh, would be on films and be you know considered legends? I had a, I have a I had a band I, had, I always had a band. Eighteen years old, I played for somebody for about seven or eight years, and I left them and I started my own band. Now, when I say band, I had a quartet and I had a quintet at one time, and then it evolved because music the music business was changing to disco music more, and I wasn't prepared to play disco music. We were playing top forty music. So I, my quartet and quintet evolved into a trio. I had a piano player, a bass player, and myself. And we would play light, light jazz, and we would play, my piano player sang, my bass player sang, and we would do those kind of things. Eventually, my piano player left me, and I was, I was scheduled open in, in the Jersey Shore on the 4th of July in 1969. And Joe used to come to see me play in different clubs around the, around the area that we worked. And we became, not friends, but we became acquaintances. And Joe played the guitar and sang. And Joe would come on the stage trio and sing with my piano player. And he never played the guitar with us, but I knew he, he had a reputation for doing that, and people knew he, who he was because of that. So I was stuck for, for a piano player on, on, the, on the 4th of July for 1969, the, the owner of the place that I was going to bought a new piano for me. My piano player, my piano player told me two weeks prior to the job, I can't come to the, to the Jersey show with you. I'm leaving the band. Now I'm, I have a band with no piano player. Uh, Joe came in. I said, Joe, you want to come and work with us? Because I liked what he, what he sang and his, his attitude. Joe's a funny guy. You know, he's, he's got a lot of humor in him. <laughs> 
So he said, yeah. And he came to work with me, 4th of July, 1969. It was a Frank Vincent trio. By the end of the summer, we played the whole summer. It was the Vincent and Pesci trio. I made Joe my partner. We hit it off so good on the stage. And we became partners. And we started doing a lot of comedy together. Ad-lib comedy that we just did on the spot. Had microphones. I had a microphone by the drum. He had microphones by the guitar where he sang, and my same, my third member sang for the bass player. And eventually, we we evolved into a stand-up comedy team where we put the instruments down and we hired a band to play behind us. And we became a stand-up comedy team. We would do two 45-minute shows a night. This is just from evol- evolving from the comedy that we were doing. And we put it all together as, you, as, as a unit, as, 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 as pieces. We put together 45 minutes opener, 45 minutes, and, and then the next 45 minutes. During the time we were playing music, as a, before we, we, we stood up with the instruments, a guy was making a movie. And he came in to see us play, just like that. And we knew the guy. He said, listen, guys, I'm doing this little, uh, this little, this little movie um, low-budget movie, and I, I think you guys might want to work in it. I said, movie? Well, I don't know. I'm a musician. I, I play studio work. I did a lot of, lot of recording with a lot of artists as a, as a player. I had my own band and whatever. I don't know from movies. I know what movies are. I don't know anything about acting. I said, okay, I'm, I'm interested. Joe said, I'm interested. We went, I went to see him. He went, Joe went to see him. Joe got hired, and I got hired. I played a Jewish guy in a movie, unbeknownst to me. What I was, <laughs> I got shot on the toilet. Okay, right. now from this movie, they were casting *Raging Bull*. Martin Scorsese saw this movie. Robert De Niro saw this movie. They cast Joe as Joey Lamada. They they called Joe, and Joe Joe uh, took Joe audition for them, and he read for them, and he mentioned me and. Marty called me in. I did a screen test for Martin Scorsese, and he hired me to play Salvi. I got my SAG card, and this is now, this is 2016. I've done 60 movies, 70 movies, TV shows, voiceovers. I became, I no longer play music. And that's the story. It's, It's just a question of being at the right place at the right time and having the ability to deliver what you have and having confidence to do what you have to do and having the, some of the experience we did from playing in nightclubs and doing comedy shows in front of nightclub audiences gave us the acting chops that we need. In the course of your career, who would you say would be maybe two or three of the biggest influences on you that really helped you to grow as a person, to help you grow and to, to become a better person. Um, you mean you mean not celebrities? Well, if you're going to see, yeah, well, let's say this. Let, let's it, make it a two part. What, what, what three people that would be that could be celebrities as well as non celebrities? So maybe what are some of the people that really had a substantial impact on you? Um, you know, who, three who, in, your, who influenced my who influenced my style? My the style yeah. that I have is a fellow by the name of Dean Martin. Okay, I copied him. In the very beginning of my of my uh, exposure, I, I loved the way he moved, the way he talked, the way he walked, the way he smoked a cigarette. 
Uh, I was also inspired by another young man by the name of Frank Sinatra. Now, you see, I'm an Italian heritage, they're Italian heritage, and these are the people that we emulate to become who we become. Who inspired me mostly and who had a lot, was important to my career as a man by the name of Bill Ramal, another Italian man, a musician, a composer, a, a producer, a arranger. I did a lot of record sessions with him. Paul Anka, I did Del Shannon, Paul Anka, Steve Lee Gourmet, um, I don't know, Fini Lopez. I did a lot of record dates and he inspired me. He was my mentor uh, in music. And I, in fact, I just went for the mail now and I got a, a, an album that he, he put together now, saxophone player. But he was my, he was my, he's a few years older than me and he inspired me to be what I am uh, professionally. There are many actors, people in all different industries who are trying to succeed. Yet if you look at your career, you seem to be starting in this golden era of, of, of films. I mean, you were, you were right at the beginning with Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, Lawrence Scorsese, right at you know, the, the peak, and you, you're, you're part of this. And your career has been consistent. You've just been consistently um, exceptional in all these other roles. What do you think are some of the main reasons why you've been successful and uh, many other actors have not attained the level of success that you have? Okay, that comes very simply. It's very simply belief in yourself uh, and not wanting to do anything else. There's nothing else I wanted to do ever since I'm five years old. I was five years old. I was in kindergarten <laughs> in Catholic in a Catholic school, and my and we had a lay teacher who would come in and teach us elocution, and she was a uh, flaming redheaded woman, and my father hired her to be to produce the plays for his men's club, the Eagles. So my father knew this woman, and she knew me through my father, and when she came in the classroom to give us elocution lessons, she called on me because I was his son, and she made me stand in front of this, the, the group and sing and, and say, you know, Abu Ben-Adam, may his pride increase. I woke one night from a deep dream of peace. Oh, I just never see a, a, something lovely as a tree. She made me recite poetry in grammar school. And I was the star of every play from the, from the first grade to the eighth grade. I was inspired to play, to, 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 to play and I can't sing. I have a very bad voice vocally. But I, studied, I studied voice. I studied trumpet. I studied piano. I wanted nothing else but to be in show business. Uh, um, Tootsie Goodbye what's his name Tootsie the old, old Jewish guy I listened to them all I was, in, I was uh, my father remarried he remarried a, a woman whose son played the saxophone and we would take we would go on to hook, play hooky he went to school we were the same age we would go to New York City go to watch all the big bands the Count Basie band like I know my the, I watched the drummer play and um I was blind for everything else but music, but music, and the music is what, what put me where I put me in the acting category. Listening is the key. Of some of the roles that you've played, were there any particular roles where you felt that you were able to add 
an extra amount of realism because of a first-hand personal experience. When you talk in the beginning about actually having a very terrifying experience, the well-known mobster, but were there other roles that you had that you were able to bring an extra amount of realism to based on first-hand life, life experiences? Well, every every role that I played, I brought my own realism to it because there's no there's no there's no category for the realism in that in the in the character until until an actor takes it. It's real. You know, Johnny went over here. He crossed the street. He went to, he pulled a gun. He put it on the guy. Doesn't say the guy. You know, Johnny was mad. Okay, so 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 you got to be mad. Johnny Johnny was smiling. Johnny kissed the girl on the cheek. So I mean, all these all these things that you do, you you just do them you do them naturally. That the key is to be natural always, and never to act, never to say I'm I'm going to be mad now. So I'm go. You just uh, you just get mad, and you get mad, and you do it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's yes. it's, it's, it's it's probably a knack. It's something that uh, it comes pretty easy to me, and it comes pretty easy to a lot of actors, a lot of. A lot of artists are, are. It's something that you, you, you breed and you and you, you you want it, and so you learn how to do it. I took I took I took comedy lessons from a vaudevillian, where I would have to go and meet him every every week, and, and sit down with him in his little little office off Broadway and write comedy with him. And Billy, this guy was eighty years old, and he was an old vaudevillian comic. Because we were doing comedy, I wanted to know about comedy. What's this all about? How do I do this? How do I do that? And he and he told me how to write and where to put the punchline. So, I've I've been driven all my life. I'm still driven. I'm not. I don't quit. I'm, I'm not over. You're still doing films. I mean, and if it's incredible, are there any actors? I mean, you talked about James Dean in the beginning. You mentioned James Dean earlier. Are there? Uh, what actors have you? Work with that have really they felt really took your took you to the next level that um, made you a better uh, actor or really helped you refine the craft when you were working with them. Um, it's a good question. A lot of good actors, boy. A lot of good actors. Uh, you got, of course, Bob. You know, Bob. Bob's Bob. Um, Joe. Joe. Joe is. Was great, and he's he really takes it out of you. You get out of him, and and he he, he has and actors help each other when they act. You know, I mean, uh, I I mean, with, I worked with Peter Falk. I worked with I worked with uh, uh, I can't remember their names. Jesus, um, um, there's a lot. I can't I, I can't put my finger on one right now. But if I had time, I could I could make you a list. Sure. You know, one um, thing I noticed. When you were in playing uh, Phil Leotard on The Sopranos, you had a main character, Tony Soprano, who was naturally not necessarily a nice guy. He was a pretty bad guy. Yet you managed to to be seen as the as the, as the evil one, as the, as the bad guy. I, I thought it was incredible that you were able to play off each other, and you know have such a comparable difference between characters where people are actually rooting for Tony. And I, I thought it was well well done when you were acting with, um, with Tony Landolfi. How hard was that? Was it? Was it? Did you have a lot of? Uh, did you feel that he brought a lot of things out of you? Well, let, let's say it this way, okay? Uh, Tony was cast as the character, and, and he made that character work. 
I would see. I went to. I went to audition for for Sopranos, the first for the first episode. I was not hired. Who was hired was Tony Sirico and Dominic Chianese. Incidentally, I've worked with Dominic is a wonderful actor, and Tony also. So there's two guys that I enjoyed working with. But they were hired right away. I wasn't hired. David Chase said we're going to do something later on. Okay. Now he knew. See, Tony, Tony, uh, Jimmy Gandolfini developed that character. He, he's soft. He's sweet. He's bad. He's good. He's lovable. He's 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 absent-minded. He's uh, he's he's confused, and he played the character brilliantly. Now, now David Chase needs somebody to take him out of out of contention. So he needs somebody somebody that's a little harder and a little a little little less merciful. So he, David Chase remembers me that I. What I did was he wouldn't hire me in the beginning because of because of of, of Casino or because of Raging Bull. I'm sorry, because of Goodfellas, the character I played in Goodfellas. I was too well known. He, that would take away from Tony Soprano. So he kept me in reserve, and the casting is brilliant the way he cast me with Tony, because the characters just in real life are are so different. But Tony's a, Tony was a sweetheart, and Tony got along. We got along so well, and I loved him, and he loved me, and we would laugh a lot, and then and then play out our roles, and uh, we would make jokes with each other, and and uh, uh, and the thing that happened to him, uh, it was a perfect match. The way he matched, the way Joe and I matched, Joe Pesci and I matched, was the way Tony and I matched. We were like night and day, and it worked were so well for the characters. That's what made the show brilliant. And uh, Mr. Vincent, in addition to being an actor, being a comedian, being a musician, you're also an author. You wrote a great book, 2007, called A Guy's Guide to Being a Man's Man. (laughs) I think about this book. I look at the content for what you talked about, and I see and observe the world for what it is. And it seems to be this, I don't know, assault on traditional masculinity, a lot of men are being are asked to be more sensitive. I want to know what your perspective is on that. Do you think that traditional male roles or traditional masculinity is is under is under attack? And what do you Absolutely. define as okay? Why do you think so? And what do you define as a strong masculine values? Well, what what I the reason why I I, I said that and I wrote this book for guys. Is because the women are taking over. I mean, the women. Uh, you see a beautiful girl, and, and you see a couple. You see the girls dressed beautifully, clean, and all all dressed nice. And you see, you see what a guy has got a t-shirt on. You know, he looks like a, looks like a t-shirt and ripped jeans or something. That looks like uh, he didn't even take a shower. So I mean, what's what's the story? Why is she with this guy? Because all all I know is. I have a, I had a, a group. We played. We wore tuxedos every night, and patent leather shoes. I mean, this is this. You had to be dressed. If you're not, if, you know, dressing up is is part of being a gentleman and being what you are. But today it's different because of because of the exposure of 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 the of the, of the media and and what and, and 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 what's influencing the television and this. So the guys get it easy. They got long, scraggly hair. They don't. They don't comb their hair. They don't. 
they don't they don't wear cologne anymore. I don't understand that. I mean, they, they, because they don't shave. Everybody's got a beard now. Everybody's got a beard. It's a trend. It's a beard. How could that? How could you wear a beard when 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 you don't wear a beard? You wear it just for a trend. I mean, I don't understand the, the mentality <laughs> of that. But you know, okay, you got a beard. I think I'm going to get a beard too now. I'm going to copy you and I'll wear a beard. And because how it looks, it's, it's, it's in. Well, in is not in. Stupid sin, you know. I mean, you're better off being in if you don't look like that. I think. Anyway, so so the book was inspired by that mentality, um, and and uh, I got to thank my co writer Stephen Perjay, time on the book and uh, went through cigars and we went through food and drinks and songs you play while you're making love and we try to and I a lot of guys call me and they say I read your book and I love it and I keep it right in my my desk, you know. So I guess it influenced some guys. You see some guys that look really great. When a guy looks great, he looks great, you know. When he's dressed up, got nice, nice, nice clothes on, and he's proud of himself. They stick out. Well, I don't know. What's the difference between a, a gentleman that has, you know, healthy masculinity and then you've got a gentleman who's be, who's considered a metrosexual. Like these are the people that, that maybe overdo it or, or spend too much time. What's the fine yeah. line between dressing well and overdoing it, according to your perspective? Well, the, the fine line is, is what, what you perceive is the fine line. I mean, if, uh, to be, you know, metro is a little, it goes, might go a little too far, put too much cologne on. He, uh, does his eyebrows tweezed and, but that's influenced also, I think, by the, the aspect of, of what the gay community is doing now. Because the gay community, most of the guys look like like that. They have they, they shave their heads and they and they have they do uh, whatever they do. I mean, but uh, um, it's a question of uh, looking in the mirror, man. Look in the mirror, see what you look like. Uh, um, you want to you want to be a metro guy? That's I mean. It's a matter of taste, you know. Taste is something that you have to learn on your own, and you just learn that from from experience. Are there two or three other lessons that you feel are very important in your book? Um, loyalty, honesty, um, and be a man. <laughs> okay. Loyalty and honesty, and and being a man is important. The last question I have for you is this: Is there any particular quote? Uh, that you feel would best exemplify um, everything that you've learned in life? Is there any quote that you feel is a great piece of advice you'd like to pass along? Great spirits yeah. always encounter violent opposition from me, me, or minds. Wow, that's great. Mr. Frank Vincent, film legend, uh, great author, musician, great honor to have you with us, sir. To learn more about Mr. Vincent, please go to his website at frankvincent.com. Today's the holiday season. Highly, highly implore you go out and get a guy's guide to being a man's man as a gift for anyone. It's a great, great gift. Mr. Vincent, truly surreal. Great honor to have you with us today, sir. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Joining us now is the queen of the universe, internationally respected psychic media, Miss Carrie O'Connor. To learn more about Miss Carrie O'Connor. And get a reading with Miss Carrie O'Connor by going to her website at carrieoconnor.com. Ms. O'Connor, what can you tell us about Mr. Frank Vincent? Mr. Frank Vincent is a beautiful soul. And talk about somebody that's in the, um, in the arts. His whole energy, 
he was a musician, an actor, an entrepreneur, an author, and and he was born to be in that. And I know one of your questions was, um, what what do you do to prep yourself for something along those lines? And the key thing he said is about believing in yourself. And that is the wonderful information. I mean, for people to believe himself and then become, and when he was talking about when he be, uh, is the actor, he becomes mad. It's something that he just embodies and embraces. So he has that ability just to pull in that creative energy, it be a mad, sad, gangster, the voice of, uh, of videos. He has that all at his fingertips, and that's a truly a creative genius. And I thought it was very fascinating that he was um, a musician at first, so he really could have gone in all different directions in his life, and it's good that he's so multi-talented. I really loved his energy. And did you sense anything about who he was who may have been in a previous lifetime? One really important lifetime was a lifetime with Napoleon. Not that he was Napoleon, but he was a second a commander, very much high in that, um, in his, uh, with his officers. And he felt like this, it looked like he had a dagger in his heart because he felt very um, divided about a lot of things that were happening. Or let's just say he was really for all supporting. Then when he got higher in the office, he found, he didn't like what he found going on in the back rooms. And there was a lot of illegal stuff or stuff that was shady, and it really hurt his heart because he went in there very, very loyal. So he comes in with this energy of wanting to. I'm almost. I'm not surprised he's able to do gangsters because he he's witnessed before in that life in particular two different life sides: the shady side of things that really go on in in a lot of stuff in corporations, and I know he's been around a lot of business and politics before in many lifetimes. And then um, the front face that you have to wear is what I call it, the face that you bring out to the world. And he's he's had many lifetimes where he's seen both sides. But in this lifetime in particular, he wants to hold the, let's say, the light side to it. Even if he's playing a character that goes and kills somebody, he still feels that he's doing a justice. There's like a just reason. He just wouldn't be a hired hitman that would just go and, um, and kill everybody for money. I mean, he would be a hired hitman that would do for reason, as far as the role, but um, his heart has to um, be in it, and it, there really has to be a strong feeling of, of like right and wrong, that kind of thing. And so of all the lifetimes, all eras of human history, soul could incarnate into, why did Mr. Vincent choose this particular lifetime? What were some of the lessons that he may have come here to, to learn? He came in, especially when he was speaking of Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra as people he admired, He's one of the people that I'm calling a bridger. And even with his book, The Guide's Guide for Being a Man's Man, he's reminding people how to um, dress right. When he was speaking about, you know, people that don't shave and, you know, the the man bun and all the other stuff and the raggedy clothes, he's bringing men an introduction to remembering the the male energy. And there's nothing wrong with looking um, clean and how to, you know, hold on to the the male, still feeling male and not so metro, right? Where sometimes you look at a person and a man or sometimes you can't even tell if it's a guy or a girl at times, you know? So he's here to help people bridge into holding on to the masculinity, but he's not shut off to his feminine energy. And and that's a beautiful thing. I just think of Dean Martin, how much, much he dressed up and he said he went out in uh, you know, tuxedos. So he's showing class. He's showing class. In no matter what role he has, in reminding young actors that they can be multi-talented, but really show some class because you represent a um, 
a profession that all eyes are on you, so bring up your best act, your class act. That's what he's really here to show. So, and Ms. O'Connor, have you ever sensed anything about him, about his relationship with his daughter, or if his, uh, he may have had a previous lifetime with his daughter and uh, what that relationship may be about for this particular lifetime? This lifetime, his daughter comes in as the leader, guider to really keep him balanced. She okay. shows him a feminine side of energy and how to uh, look at females differently in a much more balanced way. There's a really part of him that really empowers women, and that she really helps with that um, aspect of him to get look at women differently. And so they've had many roles that I see more as like a brother-sister role at times. And they've done father-daughter, or she was the mother. So they've incarnated many times um, together in all of these different roles. This lifetime and together in particular, he really trusts her, and so he doesn't have to have his back up. And especially when I read a lot of people that have been in the show business, they could have their guard up because um, sometimes they've been, you know, had stuff dangled in front of their face and was taken away or promises that, you know, um, it's a business that really could be tricky at times, right? So she brings him a breath of fresh air, and she um, it's healing for him, and I see, and he for her. So it's it's a good, nice balance. Okay, Miss O'Connor, um, the question I have is: several movies you can see Mr. Vincent with another very famous actor, Joe Pesci. I'm curious to see if they've been together. Well, actually, if, they, if they've known each other in other lifetimes, or if they have a special bond that would that they purposely come into uh, lifetimes together to grow and accelerate their development. Absolutely. A lot of times when we click with somebody in this lifetime, we had a major lifetime together. As soon as you asked me that question, I went right back to that Napoleon time, and he was one of his confidence that he was able to share his um, disappointment and what was going on there and that they that, that Joe Pesci first agreed with him. So that lifetime in particular, there's a brotherly energy there. And I've also seen another lifetime where they were um, – explorers and that they went out and I'm seeing them on a boat going off exploring new lands and that they look like again um, either captain and um, and it's, it's Stuart or that kind of thing so they come in here and they balance each other and also they have a strong thing of I got you back I don't I, I trust you and I don't have to have my guard up with you and again that's the business where a lot of times we have to have our guard up because people um, it's a very competitive business and I've heard of people throwing their best friends underneath the um you know, underneath the bus to get a role of that kind of thing. With Joe, there's an an intimate uh, trusting bond with those two. Miss Carrie O'Connor, the queen of the universe and internationally respected (laughs) psychic medium, thank you so much for your phenomenal analysis on Mr. Frank Vincent. To learn more about Miss Carrie O'Connor and to get a reading done with Miss Carrie O'Connor, please go to our website at carrieoconnor.com. Thank you so much, Miss O'Connor. Thank you, Brian. It's always a pleasure. Joining us now is the astrophenom, our astrologer, Miss Constance Tellis. You can learn more about Miss Constance Tellis and get a reading from Miss Constance Tellis by going to her website at constancetellis.com. Miss Tellis, what can you tell us about Mr. Frank Vincent? So Mr. Vincent now has been reborn <laughs> because uh, our first birthday uh, information was incorrect. And um, he is not a Leo, as we had said, but he is Aries, also a fire sign. Leo and Aries are both fire signs. So the element is the same, but the approach to life is quite different. 
Aries charges ahead. Aries is the warrior, Mars influenced, and is also a very um, keen fighter for justice, whether it's justice for yourself or for uh, for other people. Um, so it's a, it's a it's a really masculine upfront sign. And uh, then we see that um, his Mars position is in Sagittarius, another fire sign. So the fire signs are well represented, and that gives him energy, grit, and uh, a twinkle in his eye with everything. Now, his moon sign is Gemini, and that is um, the position of, of flexible mind and also vocal skill whether it's singing or putting words together or writing, he is a communicator. And those two planets are in very good relationship with one another. So I remember when we spoke, he, he's also a musician and probably writes songs, and all of that is indicated and confirmed in his chart. Now, the outer planets, which, is, which are Saturn and Jupiter, there's three others, but these two mostly um, affect us, uh, show a very, very tension-filled but creative possibility uh, pattern, and it's called a T-square. So we have two planets, Jupiter and Pluto, opposite each other, and they are square or 90 degrees away from the sun. Uh, this is like uh, TNT here <laughs> because the um, balancing of Jupiter, which is our expansion, our, our really our very good um, generosity planet, opposite Pluto, Hades, the underworld, kind of formidable power, and all of that pressing on the sun. So uh, Mr. Vincent has to create He'd explode if he didn't. Um, he could ex uh, com um, create in many different uh, areas. So I know music and art. He may also paint. Um, sports are very uh, or have been important just for physical exercise. And getting that energy out there uh, keeps him in balance. Chart is very successful in terms of the world's eyes. Everybody wants more, but he's doing okay. And um, I think that the softer elements of his life, <coughs> excuse me, uh, will now become a little bit more prominent uh, as he's in the you know latter part of his life. By softer, I mean not so fiery, but more flexible and uh, we can even say watery. Um, the last chart had this um, grand earth trine, and I said that he had psychic capabilities. It's not that this one doesn't, because we all have um, psychic uh, intuitions, but it works a little bit different. So since this is his accurate chart, we can say that he has um, flashes of insight may not know what to do with them, but if he kind of catches them, he can um, 
he can gain some wisdom and possibly, you know, a path to go on. You know, uh, in show business, it's always very important to know where the possibilities are. <laughs> and he has kind of a sixth sense about that. Um, so this thought... is an exciting time period for him. Very new adventures in his in his mind. I don't know. Is, is he still working? Is he still? So yes. Yeah. He's still, he's still going strong. And just curious, do you sense or can you gauge from his chart anything that would indicate where he may have come from in a previous life incarnation? Uh, it may very well be because of the Aries. Uh, Aries is the first sign of the zodiac that this is an, uh, an incarnation, this is a lifetime about um, concerted, powerful, extroverted action because in the most previous uh, lifetime, he was finishing up a less active, more spiritual Pisces kind of um, lifetime, which was more reclusive, dreamier, and... Um, very, very sensitive. So he's got true grit this time around uh, because we all are learning in the upward evolution of, of uh, our charts and um, of, uh, of life. And what we did last time around opened the door for new influences this time around. Miss Constance Stellis, the Astro Phenom. I want to thank you so much for your amazing analysis of Mr. Frank Vincent. Again, to learn more about Miss Constance Stellis and get your own chart reading done with Miss Constance Stellis, please go to our website at ConstanceStellis.com. Thank you so much, Miss Stellis. My pleasure. My pleasure. Happy holidays. <laughs> Joining us now is the clairvoyant cowgirl, psychic empath, Miss Lisa Kaza. You can learn more about Ms. Lisa Kaza and get a reading with Ms. Lisa Kaza by going to her website at lisakaza.com. Ms. Kaza, what can you tell us about Mr. Frank Vincent? I found him, uh, the information that I found got anyways, I found it rather interesting and it made me think in terms of, you know, purposes for past lives and and, uh, and that kind of thing. I'll get into that in, in a few minutes. Um of course, he's a very old and gentle spirit. Um, obviously, a lot of uh, very strong, notable Italian descent. Uh, many past lives in, in Rome and, and uh, other areas of Italy. He's even been reincarnated as his own family at one point. <laughs> so, very strong Italian. However, now in looking into his past lives, the most influential. One, um, I'm actually, I'll just, I'll come right out with it. I, I am a little bit hesitant because I am being told that there is some sort of historical documentation on this. So, um, the first thing here is definitely, it was New York, um, in and around the mid-1800s, uh, and this is the part that I felt a little bit hesitant in sharing because this is the historical part too, apparently. Um, again, hopefully someone, one of our listeners can look into it because I have no clue what I'm talking about at this point. I was shown an image. Um, he was in a, in a gang, but then I heard... <laughs> in a gang? Yeah, and I think I actually have the gang's name. 
but it's the weirdest name I've ever come across in my life. Sure. Word for word, dead rabbits. Dead rabbits, okay. Dead rabbits. <laughs> um, and I am being shown that it, like he was involved in a, a couple of, actually, it looks like a civil unrest, so like rioting. And um, this is where I do feel that he ultimately um, lost his life relatively early in his life. I feel like he was no more than 25, 30 years old at the most. And it was during one of these riots. Um, and the date I have here, it's like 1862, 1863. But it, but it was uh, in New York. Um, now, the thing is, why I, I, the reason why I was shown that past life was because um, I find it fi uh, a little bit funny because he was talking about realism, giving that realism in his acting. But the thing is that what he doesn't realize is that there's some sort of residual energy that's emanating from his spirit where that's why he, it's mainly the roles have been attracted to him as opposed to, to him being attracted to the roles. Really? It's, wow. Yeah. It, it's, it's so it, and the thing is, that's what gives his acting that edge and, and the distinction that it, that it, that, that's there. Um, so, yeah, like the residual energy of that past life, so like the personality that he was in that past life, ultimately has caused the roles that he's played in, in most, the majority of, of movies and that, to be attracted to him as opposed to him being attracted to their roles. So I found that very, very interesting. And that's why I mentioned earlier, you know, it, the information has kind of caused me to think a little bit more in terms of, you know, purposes for past lives and how they influence, you know, life of today. There's so many different aspects. And this is one I, I just, I wasn't expecting. Because I want to ask you, is it pretty unusual for a spirit to reincarnate relatively quickly after they've passed? Is there, I mean, my understanding is that it's quite common or more common when a um, person has died under traumatic circumstances or under, um, you know, very controversial circumstances, shall we say. Um, mm -hmm. is, there any, is there any rhyme reason for it? Is it just the fact that the spirit wanted to come back and uh, have another round in that particular era of humanity? I mean, it, just want to ask if, if there's any particular rhyme or reason why Frank would come back. Mr. Min sorry, Mr. Minster would come back so quickly. Uh, well, it actually wasn't that quickly. Um, it was, uh, well, like I said, the date of death in this past life was 1862, 1863. Um, he was born in what? It was 1939? Pretty sure, yes. I think, yeah. So it, it wasn't that quickly but you know definitely quick enough because i see i i quite often see a time period of anywhere between 150 to 300 years between lives i've seen that quite frequently too but no it just it just depends on the spirit um sometimes it depends on what happened and i do believe that that's most likely why he did come back earlier as opposed to you know like i just said 150 300 years um i think he wanted to there's a sense here of wanting, and I don't understand what this means either, wanting to make amends, uh, I suppose, for, you know, what he was getting involved in in that past life. 
that way, and that would make sense too, because you know the roles that he does play when it comes to um, like the mafia and, and that kind of thing. Um, it, it sheds some light, even though it's in the movies. It still sheds some light into that kind of life. You said so. Any previous lifetimes with him and his daughter? Him and his daughter. I wasn't shown that. Okay. I wasn't shown that at all. Um, I was feeling one with his father, though. Okay. I don't know. I don't know where or what time period or anything like that. But I did get. It could very well have been in in, in the most recent. But I'm not a hundred percent sure. But I do feel that his father was definitely with him. Um, at one point. Now, um, speaking of father, I feel his father around him a lot, very, very strongly. And, well, as people already know, like I'm not that much of a medium. I don't do mediumship readings all that often, if at all. But he came through very strong, so it was very easy for me to to pick up and he's he's still very proud of Frank, and he's been guiding him all these years. Um, and I even have a specific uh, statement here. Um, like I heard, I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget, that Frank uh, went or reached to greater heights than he ever could have. So I'm just wondering what... Um, his father actually could have meant by that. I'm wondering if, you know, maybe he, he was an actor at some point or or something like I'm not exactly sure, but the, that's kind of the sense that I have when I reflect over that, that statement that he gave me. So, um, and then uh, another thing that comes through, and this is also something I don't understand, is that he is with somebody, like there's, Another male energy surrounding Frank at the same time that his father is. And I don't know who it is or, or anything like that, but I do get the name Joe. Okay. So um, I guess that was, you know, obviously more personal message for Frank himself that, that came through. I guess they knew we were going to be talking about him. Um, and a lot, uh, one other thing, too, that I picked up was he has a lot of silver color in his in his energy or his his aura, and and that um, shows that he's got a, a actually a very strong sensitivity and intuitiveness. So he, you know, in a sense, he he does have uh, some psychic ability, and but the thing is, he can because he's such a, a a wise and old spirit, he he has the the knowledge on how to apply that in very practical ways. Wow. So highly intelligent as well. That's another thing about the the silver in the aura. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me, you know. For example, he he probably makes a lot of very important decisions relatively quickly and follows through with the actions. Like he he's like a no BS kind of guy. When things need to get done, he gets them done. Uh, that's excellent. Miss Lisa Kaza, I want to thank you for that really riveting and uh, thorough analysis of Mr. Frank Vincent. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I think it made some excellent points. To learn more about Miss Lisa Kaza and to get a reading with Miss Lisa Kaza, please go to her website at lisakaza.com. Thank you so much, Miss Kaza. Oh, thank you, Ryan. 
Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our unbelievable guest, Mr. Frank Vincent, and special thanks to his amazing daughter, Miss Maria Gattuso. And special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Lisa Caza, and Miss Constance Dellis. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Till the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and fears. Taking care, and thank you so much for listening. Hello, this is Ryan, host and executive producer of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Here today to tell you about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, psychic medium, psychic empath, Lisa Kaza, and astro phenom, Constance Stellis. All three of these individuals are powerful metaphysical seers, teachers. I love talking to him, and I think you should talk to him as well. Psychic medium, Carrie O'Connor, which you can find her at CarrieOConnor.com. will provide a lot of insight on your life. She visually sees spirits. She can tell you all kinds of great information, facilitate communication with your loved ones. Awesome. Check her out, CarrieOConnor.com. Then you've got the Astro Phenom, Miss Constance Stellis. You lay out your birthday. She'll tell you about where your chart is, where you're headed to, some of the things you can predict, whether or not you're in astrological compatibility with that uh, Mr. or Mrs. Wonderful you're currently dating. See if that can happen. Learn about, more about Miss Constance Sellis by going to her website at ConstanceSellis.com. And then, of course, we have psychic empath Miss Lisa Kaza at LisaKaza.com. Lisa Kaza is so amazing. She's direct, straightforward, going to give you the straight, honest truth. She'll provide a tremendous amount of insight into where you're going and where you're, some of your biggest decisions. Lisa is very unique. Hard-hitting, powerful. Lisa Casa, Constance Sellers, Carrie O'Connor. All virtues that you can hear on a regular basis on the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. I've talked to 75 psychic mediums or more plus in my life. I think these three individuals stand out. They are amazing. I love them to death. Be sure to contact them and learn more about all of them by going to our website at OuterLimitsRadio.com. Want to be heard or seen in front of millions of people? Want to be an expert on TV or radio? Goldman McCormick PR is a New York City-based public relations agency that specializes in traditional and social media placement for law, finance, media, and corporate-based clients. Goldman McCormick PR also are specialists in website development, radio show creation, press conferences, media training, and so much more. Check out GoldmanMcCormick.com for more information. GoldmanMcCormick.com. 